This is most certainly true. In the greatest act of selfless mercy, God sent His own Son into our world to die for your sins. And we can't stop talking about it. We now present this sermon, recently delivered at Grace, to you. The Holy Gospel, an additional portion of Jesus' famous Bread of Life sermon in John's Gospel, chapter 6, it serves as the basis for the sermon today. Then Jesus declared, I am the Bread of Life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. At this, the Jews there began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I have come from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. The Gospel of the Lord. One of the most enjoyable things about traveling is trying new food in new places. Of course, the further you get away from home, the more unique your food experience is going to be. For some, they absolutely love this. This is the best part of any kind of traveling. But for others with a more picky palate, this poses a problem. I've seen this several times in my life, but perhaps no time was this more clear than when we traveled to Africa. After 16 hours of flying from Chicago to Dubai and then seven more hours flying from Dubai to Zambia, we had all kinds of delicious foods put in front of us. 
curry chicken on Emirates Airlines, all kinds of Middle Eastern fare at the hotel in Dubai. But the American teenagers traveling with us were not exactly as impressed. And so when we finally arrived at our destination after a day and a half of travel, we arrived at the Lutheran Seminary in Lusaka, Zambia. We were so overjoyed to find out they were preparing a home-cooked meal for us. Yes! And so we slapped on the fresh chicken and the vegetables onto our plates and we piled up the mashed potatoes and we sat down at the table and we dug in with our forks only to find out that's not mashed potatoes. They had prepared for us one of the staple foods of Zambia called nshima. That's N-S-H-I-M-A, nshima. Nshima is made up from ground-up cornmeal, which you slowly pour into and mix into boiling water. And, and the end product ends up looking like mashed potatoes, and it smells like a corn tortilla, and it has the consistency of Play-Doh, which I suppose is somewhat ironic, because we were instructed the proper way to eat Nshima is not with a fork, but rather you grab it with your hands and you roll it around into a ball and then you make a scoop-like shape and you scoop up the chicken and the vegetables and you soak up some of the chicken broth and, and then you eat it with your fingers just like that. Well, one of the young teen ladies with us was having none of this. <laughs> She had a little taste of it, a no thank you serving, you might say, and she tossed the rest and she made a beeline for her suitcase. We later found out she had brought with her about a dozen individual bags of Doritos and a whole pile of fruit snacks. Her plan was that she would live on Doritos and fruit snacks alone for the next 10 days. You may guess this did not go so well. The Doritos only lasted about two days. She lost about 10 pounds on the trip. A week later, we were doing some more traveling. We went down south to Zimbabwe to visit Victoria Falls, one of the natural wonders of the world. And when we arrived there, we saw one of the most beautiful, gorgeous sights you can imagine. Not the waterfall. KFC. American food! And so, of course, our group had to stop at KFC. Now, the problem is they don't prepare KFC the same way we prepare KFC, nor do they have the same health standards we do. And after an entire week of eating fresh, clean, healthy, home-cooked meals, diving into real mashed potatoes and gravy and African KFC, needless to say, the next day, no one felt very good. Here we had clean, good food set before us, healthy food in Shima, and yet some starved themselves because they didn't want it, and others preferred something they thought was better. I suppose you could say this was a very typical human experience, wasn't it? How often does God drop a myriad of good blessings in front of us? And yet so quickly our hearts become discontent and dissatisfied because we want something bigger or, or better that's out there in the world. We were reminded of this again last week and also this Sunday as we heard again about the Israelites of old who had 
gone with Moses up out of Egypt. The Lord had delivered them with his mighty hand from slavery in Egypt. He led them through the Red Sea on dry ground. They sang their praises to God. And what was the very next thing they did? It's actually the next paragraph in the Bible. They complained. We don't have any water. So God turned bitter water into good drinkable water. Next it was, we don't have any food. We would rather be slaves in Egypt than die with you, God, out here in the wilderness. Again, God in his grace poured out good blessings. Can you imagine this bread coming down from heaven? They didn't even have to go to the Sinai Sendix or dial up on their phones the desert dominoes. Six days a week they went outside their tent and there it was, good, healthy, clean bread. They called it manna. How incredible! And yet, sinful hearts very quickly were dissatisfied. The novelty of the miracle wore off. They grew tired and and sick of manna. And this wonderful bread from heaven given by God to sustain them was, was not good enough. Which, of course, is to say that God's grace and blessings weren't good enough. Fast forward a little more than a thousand years, and once again, the Jews had bread from heaven before them. An entire feast was standing before them. Not manna, but the bread, Jesus. Over and over again in this Bread of Life sermon, we heard a little last week, this week, the next couple of weeks, over and over again, Jesus talks about how he is the bread that comes down from heaven. He is the bread that gives life. Pastor Hockman reminded us last week, that's why Jesus is the best bread there is. But like an American teenager with Njima in Africa, it wasn't good enough. These Jews had seen Jesus take a few loaves of bread and some fish and feed over 5,000 people. They wanted more of that kind of stuff. They wanted signs and wonders and powers from Jesus, kind of like that manna dropping out of the heavens. In their minds, what good was Jesus if he didn't make their lives better? What did Jesus really matter if they still woke up the next morning and had malaria or leprosy? What help was Jesus if if they were still under the oppressive thumbs of the Romans or their chariot in their garage still had no transmission or air conditioning? Instead of feasting on Jesus, they starved themselves in their unbelief. Instead of feasting on Jesus, they, they chose worldly junk food instead. Again, a very relatable human experience. We can fast forward now another 2,000 or so years and bring ourselves to this present time and living bread, the bread of life still comes to us today. Any day, every day, you can go right to your Bible, even conveniently now your digital Bible, and you can dine on the Word made flesh as he comes to us in his word. Every week you have the opportunity, and in this country you have the freedom to come here to God's house, not to put in your time or hear a catchy tune or two or a motivational speech, but rather here in worship, Jesus, the bread of life, comes to us from heaven. Jesus comes and he puts his name on you 
in the invocation in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus comes and he forgives you through the proclamation of the pastor. Jesus comes and he strengthens you through the scripture readings, through the sermon. He comes with his real flesh and blood to forgive you and strengthen you in his supper. He comes to you and he blesses you so that you grow and then go out into the world with your faith. What a feast we have in the word, in the sacraments, in worship with Jesus. And yet how often, like a teenager in Africa with Enshima, like an Israelite with manna in the wilderness, how often am I dissatisfied and discontent with this good gift of God? Ugh, manna again? Ugh, Jesus again? Well, I guess I'll go to church. I mean, I suppose that's what we do. I have to. You can tell when your attitude is like that, when you drag yourself out of bed rather reluctantly going to worship. You find yourself in church with your mind kind of drifting off to all the other things. And, oh, it's the last day of the state fair today. And You can find yourself drifting off into this as your Bible perhaps collects dust at home. I've had enough of that bread, my sinful nature says. The problem that when I do this is that I add sin upon sin, not only starving myself from the bread of life, but then I usually try and replace it with other junk food in this world. Doritos, fruit snacks, KFC, even deep-fried fish fry at the state fair, which I had yesterday, is really good. These are all good things in small doses, but honestly, who can live off those things? And so how can I, with a spiritually picky palate, try and replace Jesus with something that tastes better? Work, money, possessions, things, family, fun, experience, vacations, house, home, boat, cars. All these things can be very good blessings from God, but but what of those things can give us something beyond this life? Jesus told those Israelites, he said, your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness. That was good stuff from God, and yet they died. All those blessings from God are good, but none of them give us what Jesus, the bread of life, can give. And so once more, with repentant hearts, we humbly come to our gracious God for forgiveness, forgiveness for our dissatisfaction and disappointment with his word, for our discontent and disillusioned hearts. Hungry and starving, we come to our God for a feast that only he, the bread of life, can offer to us. And so, my friends, dig in today. Dine Feast on Jesus and his words. You might even want to follow along in the service folder. I think it's page 9 as we'll track through Jesus' words and what he tells us about himself today. Here's what Jesus says. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never go thirsty. Do you realize every single person in this world is hungry and thirsty? And I'm not talking about food or famine problems. Every person in this world, whether they realize it or not, hungers for meaning 
and purpose and some kind of hope after this life. When we feast on, on Jesus, we taste and see that the Lord is good, that our God has created us with meaning and value, that even though we fell into sin, our God has bought us back, He's redeemed us, He has saved us and given us a new life and the hope of an eternal life. When we feast on Jesus, we never hunger or thirst for purpose or meaning or hope. Jesus continues by saying this, All those the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. The Lord knows those who are his. He knows that you are his. When you feast on Jesus, he won't drive you away. You'll never have a bad taste in your mouth or spiritual gut rot from the bread of life. But Jesus welcomes you and he receives you. He treasures you and values you and preserves you and protects you because this is part of his Father's will. His Father's will is that he would come down from heaven to here, to this world, to live for us, to give up his flesh and die for us, for all that we've done, and to rise to life so that we too could have a new life with him. Jesus says, My Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. All this is ours when we feast on Jesus. Even with these good and loving words from the Lord, the Jews still grumbled and complained like complaining ancestors of old in the wilderness with Moses. They started thinking things like, What's the big deal about Jesus? Who is this Jesus coming down from heaven? Isn't this the son of Joseph and Mary? What's so special about Jesus? You know, Satan would love nothing more than for your heart and mind to ask the same thing. What's so special about Jesus? Well, listen to your Lord as he tells you today what makes him so special and so different. Jesus goes on and says this, Stop grumbling among yourselves, he answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, They will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him, who has been taught by God, comes to me, Jesus says. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. There is no other bread, no other food that has the same quality as Jesus. Jesus is true God. He's one with the Father. He has come here from the Father. He makes us children of the Father. He gives us life with the Father. Again, all this is ours when we feast on Jesus, when we taste him and taste his love and his forgiveness. What other food could possibly compare when you taste 
such a scrumptious meal, why have anything else? Again, Jesus said that those who even ate manna, this miracle bread of old, they still died. Why not have something that gives life? And so Jesus concludes with this. He said, your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, and yet they died. But here, here, me, I am bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread, whoever believes in me, will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Did you notice how many times in this short portion of the Bread of Life sermon, we only have a part before us today, did you notice how many times Jesus mentioned life or not dying or being raised to life? I'll save you the counting. It's ten times. Jesus' great will, his great desire is for you to have life, a life of peace with him right now and a life eternally with him and his Father forever in heaven. This is what only the bread of life can offer to us. It was about 15 months ago or so, just before we went down on nationwide lockdown, that our family was able to sneak away for a few days and visit London. We got to see all kinds of amazing sights and places in London and have all kinds of amazing food. One particular day, I remember, we were walking all over. We saw all kinds of things. We had gone about eight or ten miles on the ground, and as as happens often in London, it started to rain. So we're tired, we're exhausted, we're wet, and, and so we found ourselves going to a famous department store, maybe you've heard of it, Harrods in London. And we make it to Harrods, which is like a mini mall, and I'll never forget when we passed through a hallway and we got to what's called Harrods Food Halls. I can still picture all the food. I can still smell and almost taste right now what became a staple of our trip to London. We had a big, fresh, crispy, yet soft, flaky, buttery croissant. Oh, London Bridge, Westminster Abbey, Buckingham Palace, all impressive, but our family might do almost anything to go back and have some of that food and that bread again. When your soul is starving and you taste Jesus and you have a bite of his love and when you know his forgiveness and when you know your value, in being his child, and your purpose in sharing this bread with others, and your hope of having life with him, why would you want any other food? And good news, you don't need to travel to London or Zambia or Zimbabwe. You can simply travel right to your coffee table or your desk, your couch, your bed or your bookshelf, even your digital device, and open God's word and feast. Or you can hop on the freeway and come all the way down to 1209 North Broadway. We'll be here every week. Or you can tune in and live stream and feast. You will never be disappointed. You will never be dissatisfied. You will never hunger or thirst, but always eat to your fill. So come, friends, each week, each day, and feast on Jesus and have life in his name.
Thanks for listening. To learn more about God's grace or to support this ministry, please visit gracedowntown.org today. This grace is for you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you peace.